Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the programme this week, we mark Richie McCaw's 100th test as All Blacks captain. I said, well, you snot him, I'll be snotting a lot of you. So leave him alone, he's only a baby. Any hope Jesse Ryder, ahead of taking part in the Cricket World Cup next year, appears dashed. Really, we were quite reliant on the A2 of the UAE and, and Jesse being involved in that. Your White's coach Anthony Hudson comes to grips with the mountain he and his side must climb to qualify for the next World Cup. Rally driver Hayden Patton reflects on his season in the World Rally Championship. And boxer Joseph Parker readies himself for his toughest fight yet. The All Blacks captain, Richie McCaw, will bring up yet another milestone at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff this weekend when he captains the side for the 100th time in a test match. It's a record for the All Blacks, but also internationally, with no other player having captained their country in 100 rugby tests. The player of his generation, the darling of a nation, Richie McCaw with the moment he and New Zealand have dreamt of for 24 years. The William Webellis Trophy has come home. Lifting the World Cup three years ago is just one of the many milestones Richie McCaw's achieved as All Black skipper since taking over the captaincy in 2004. The test against Wales in Cardiff on Sunday morning will be his 137th test in all more than any other All Black. It's fitting too that McCall will play his 100th test as captain at Millennium Stadium, for it was in Cardiff 10 years ago that he led the All Black side onto the field for the first time, replacing Tanarumanga as captain. I had no idea what I was doing back then, I'll tell you. Um, felt like I needed to have all the answers, know it all myself, and you know, always be the guy talking. You know, it felt a little bit like that, but I think as time goes on, you become more comfortable. You don't feel threatened by other people. And I think the good ones you see are the ones that have a, have a pretty strong bunch around them. That's what I've been lucky to have. The All Blacks coach, Steve Hansen, says he first saw McCaw play for Otago Boys High School first 15 at Lancaster Park in 1998. He was coaching Canterbury then, and told then Canterbury Chief Executive Steve Chu they had to sign him, although that didn't go down too well with some leading Canterbury players. I went into Chewy's office and said, how much he costs just getting this kid special? And Toddy and Reuben and uh, Razor and Angus Gardner come to me at one point and said, look, if he comes into another ruck and pinches another ball, we're going to snot him. And I said, well, you snot him, I'll be snotting a lot of you. So leave him alone, he's only a baby, and just look after him and get there quicker than he is. So he started setting standards at training because he made it real. I had to go to him quietly and say, look, just let them win a couple, would you? He's starting to piss them off. The former All Blacks captain Graham Murray, who led the side between 1976 and 1982, believes the loss to France at Cardiff's Millennium Stadium in the 2007 World Cup quarterfinal was a watershed in McCaw's captaincy. From that point on, he felt the mantle was his to assume, and I, I think certainly the um, the balance between the players, the senior players, and the coaches, I think's been very good. You know, up until then, I sort of had the feeling that the coaching was was sort of dominating a little bit. McCaw says that 2007 quarterfinal is etched in his memory. 
remember, um, I don't know whether he's sulking, but you know, it was like, uh, well, you know, the man up here and, and go and get on with it or uh, drift away and sort of uh, remember that experience as something that you couldn't handle. And I guess being the person I am, um, you know, that was as soon as I thought like that, I thought, well, there's no way I want to want to do that. So got over it and got on with it. The All Black number eight, Kieran Reeds, played alongside McCaw at provincial, Super Rugby, and international level. He's in awe of his achievements. Especially big games, yeah, you, you know, you'll see him fly into a ruck, or you see him, you know, and come out with the ball the other side, or he's got no regard for his body, I guess. And you know, when you certainly see that from your skipper, there's, you know, you kind of have to follow. Well, McCaw's captaincy is about to come full circle at Millennium Stadium on Sunday morning. The end too is on the horizon. The talk is next year's World Cup could mark the end of his international career and becoming the first player to lead his country to consecutive World Cups would be a fitting legacy. As we heard in that piece there, Graham Murray captained the All Blacks between 1976 and 1982. I asked him just how much of a burden being All Black captain was and whether it ends up defining someone's life. What I would see with Richie is, you know, it's about um, as much about character. So I think, you know, Richie is a person of great character. And, I mean, I think that, that's shown through, you know, for the amount of time he's been there. And, you know, I sort of watched him come through age-grade teams in the early, well, back in the you know, around 2000, I suppose, uh, under-19s, under-21s. And, you know, I, I think Richie is able to, to survive comfortably in that environment because he is a good bloke. Thinking back to, to when you became All Black captain, is there anything that struck you or hit you as what you weren't prepared for coming into the role or that was the, the biggest unknown for you? I was um, relatively young, I think, when I went away the first first team I took to Argentina and, and one of the younger members, so I guess it's it's just stepping up to, to that responsibility and um, you know, dealing with the media too. I remember Keith Quinn turning up at the farm in Taranaki and I looked at the interview afterwards on tally and I thought, you know, I'm going to have to get my game together here because just, uh, you know, not, not having had any, any experience with television and training and you weren't actually asked whether you wanted to be captain. It just um, basically appeared on the television screen and tried to work out what the C in brackets after my name was for a second or two. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I think probably the big thing now is, you know, the, the, the pressure of the media and, most of the players, and you know, Richie probably slightly predates that, but most of the players now come through academies, and you know they're, they're pretty well prepared for the rigours of professional rugby. I think they don't have to deal with jobs, which the players in our days had to, and they've certainly got to put a lot of thought into what they're going to do after rugby. But yeah, probably the, the, the biggest thing I think is just getting in in the public eye, and um, you know I, I think Richie's, you know I, I don't think Richie seeks. Um, you know the public eye. I think he does what he has to do for the job, and you know I guess what I like about Richie is he's there to do the job. He's not there because that's the position that he he wants. You know I think he um, he just wants to get on and make sure the team's the best it can be. And as I said earlier, I think he's probably pretty comfortable in his skin now. What about going through life with that mantle as when your career comes to an end as being former All Black captain? Is it something that? I mean, it's obviously something you're proud of, but is it something that, in a way, dogs you, though, in the sense that you're forever that person as opposed to what you do post-rugby? Yeah, well, I guess we all handle it differently. I mean, I think you've seen a number of ex-All Blacks and ex-All Black captains have 
you know, being very aware that it does provide them with an opportunity to have a better lifestyle. Um, so you've got a number of ex-captains, you know, in, in the media and doing that. I mean, I, I guess from my perspective, I I pretty much wanted to, you know, just get on with my own life and, you know, to do things that I could do from, from you yeah, know, my own background, I suppose. So, you know, involved in various activities, which to me were challenging. And, and um, you know, I, I expect, I mean, I, I think Richie obviously is going to go down as the greatest All Black and certainly the greatest captain, and I don't think anybody would begrudge him from that. not sure whether he'll pop up as an Air New Zealand pilot or uh, what he'll be doing, but I'd, I'd certainly expect Richie to, to be looking for something fulfilling to do when he's finished and, and not just live on, on what he's done. I was talking to the former All Blacks captain, Graham Murray. New Zealand cricket says Jesse Ryder's withdrawal from the New Zealand A Tour won't rule him out of the World Cup, but it does make selectium all the more difficult. Ryder's withdrawn from the Tour of the United Arab Emirates, citing personal reasons. The Tour was to be Ryder's chance of proving he could return to the Black Cabs environment after being dropped earlier this year for off-field disciplinary issues. New Zealand Cricket's National Selection Manager Bruce Edgar says they'll now have to assess Ryder solely on domestic form. If we take a step back and um, review the purpose of the A-Tour and having players on that, that was a stepping stone through to the Black Cats. So really we were quite reliant on on the A-Tour of the UAE and, and Jesse being involved in that for us um, as selectors and uh, to, to get an informed judgement just on, not, not only on... Uh, on the field behaviour, but also the overall package, being in the team environment and, and all those sorts of things as well. And unfortunately, we won't get that now. So that would rule him out of being part of the World Cup? Well, at this stage, he's got, um, you know, subject to his, his well-being. Um, he's got uh, more Georgie Pie Super Smash games to go, Ford Trophy. So there are a number of other games that he has uh, an opportunity to play in. But again, as I said, it was um, just seeing... Jesse in that team environment on the A-Tour, which unfortunately we won't see now. So for a player to be part of the World Cup squad, you would have wanted them to be part of either the Black Caps programme or the A-Squad programme before you name that 30-strong squad? Yeah, well, uh, not everyone's going to be in it because uh, like it is a 30-man squad and um, some of the guys who um, uh, on the A-Tour and in the Black Caps... Um, you know they're obviously not participating in that, but they are likely to be included in the 30 as well. So there'll be additional players. Um, they may not have had the opportunity on the A tour or being involved in the Black Caps, but again, looking at domestic cricket and domestic form um, and a whole bunch of factors there, uh, we'll take that into consideration when we formulate our our 30, and then obviously culling that down to 15 on the 7th, the, the 8th of January. As, as you mentioned there. Jesse Ryder being part of that A squad was an opportunity to see how he was going both on and off the field. Would you be prepared to take the risk of involving him in the World Cup squad without that look? Uh, to be honest, it's made our decision certainly a lot harder now. Um, we were very much reliant on, on that tour and the information that we'd gleaned from that. So, so at this point, it's certainly made it a bit harder for us and uh, we just have to work through the process and say, well, you know, how much confidence do we have in this player and other players when we get down to the final 15. I was talking to New Zealand Cricket's National Selection Manager Bruce Edgar. The Black Caps' initial 30-strong squad for the World Cup will be named next month with the final tournament squad of 15 announced on January the 8th.
The All the Wides Two Match Asia Tour has shown coach Anthony Hudson the enormity of the task that lies ahead for he and his side if they're to qualify for the World Cup in Russia in 2018. The All the Wides drew one all with China, who are ranked 88th in the world, compared with New Zealand's 131, but they then lost 2-0 to Thailand, who are ranked 165th. While disappointed with that result, Hudson believes the exercise has been a positive one as he's been able to introduce a number of teenage players to the international environment. We addressed a couple of key positions. You know, I've been quite open about the fact that we needed backup in the goalkeeping position and you know certain other key positions, left back position and you know right sided centre back. You know and other other areas around the pitch. And I think we've done that and we've added more competition in the group, which was uh, you know a key objective. Um, you know, knowing we have a young group, I think one thing I learned, you know, going into the Thailand game, we made a conscious effort of, you know, really putting pressure on the group in 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 the sense that, you know, framing the game as a as a must win game as a, you know, really comparing it to a qualifier, you know, when, when you know after the game you look at the game and maybe some of the young players. Um, you know, couldn't handle, you know, that, that sort of pressure um, and must-win sort of mentality. But it's something that, we, you know, we do have a young group and, you know, we've got to deal with it and uh, we've, got to, we've got to learn a little bit quicker and, and gain experience and, uh, and know that we're, we have a different situation that we have to now um, speed things up. So you would have expected maybe some of those younger players to be at a better stage or be able to cope more with that pressure at international level than what they obviously did? We're doing right now exactly what um, we have to do. Um, if, if some of these young players don't get games now, um, when we have to, and it's not it's not a matter of if, when we have to rely on them before important qualifiers, they, they may or may not be, be ready and we can't leave that to chance. Did you think, or had you hoped, though, some of them would have been better able to show that they could make that step up? You know, I'll, I'll take Declan Wynn, for example. I, I thought he was terrific against China, and I thought he made an, an incredible debut to be thrown thrown into the mix, um, you know, so so early and quickly. I thought he was exceptional. Um, you know, and, and that's... When, when, I, when I took my first, you know, the, the list for the first, uh, squad went in against Uzbekistan. We didn't have any left back in the squad. You know, we had Bill Tuiloma that was going to be playing as a left back. Uh, we didn't have, didn't have a left sided centre back. Um, you know, and the fact you know it's another key thing that we're having. You know, having to address the balance of the team. And, and now we've now we've got Tom Doyle in and around the squad, and we've got Declan in and around the squad. Tommy Smith back in in the squad, and now we're starting to get balance in the team. So. Um, so for me, what <laughs> one thing one thing with younger players um, is is trying to you, you're not always guaranteed is consistency, and that's what we're trying to get with the younger players. But no, I've been really I've been really impressed with them. You know, um, the, the younger lads that have come in. Um, you know, to change a to change a style of play in in such a short space of time, they've shown they can do it against a very strong t- China team. Um, who for me, you know, their their ranking I think is a bit inaccurate. I think they should be slightly higher. So to get a performance against China like we did, create many many chances, um, has shown that that in a short space of time they can do it. They can do. They can. Um, they've taken on board the the new style of play. 
Um, so now it's about finding, um, being able to sustain that, sustain that level of performance. Um, but it, it's it's not. It wouldn't be right me coming away and, and and point finger at young players and point finger at not being able to put up with pressure and all that. It, we've got to look at everything. We've got to look at. Um, you know the you know character of certain players. We've got to look at, as I say, recovery strategies. We've got to look at fatigue. We've got to look at everything. You know, it's it's not it's not a straightforward group because you've got you've got players playing regularly for their first team. You know, their domestic clubs. You've got players that sat on benches. You've got players that are playing it on the Saturday, and then you've got players playing on the Sunday. You know, before they come into camp. There's all sorts of different different factors. Building culture, you said there, was a big part of this trip. What do you do specifically as a coach to try and build a culture within a team? Well, I think the, the, key, the key is to, to give the players as much ownership as possible and to, to help uh, to help sort of lead that. The main objective is, is really for the players to, you know, have a clear idea of, of what people... Um, would want to say about us as a team, you know, when, when people see New Zealand play, the All Whites play, what do we want them to say about us? You know, what, what, what are the key characteristics that, you know, our values, what, what, what are going to be, you know, what are the key things that are important to us as a team? So what do the players therefore see the All Whites as standing for? Well, listen, this is something that the, the group, uh, you know, amongst themselves, you know, within our change rooms that, that we, you know, we're in the process of working on and that's something that's, you know, at this stage it's, you know, private to private to the group and something that this that, that will be and is, you know, special to them. And, uh, you know, we, we hope that we shouldn't need to, you know, after, after a run of games that we shouldn't need to, um, tell people what that is. People should be able to see that in in how we play and how we how we work. How's your hunt going for players overseas that might have a New Zealand connection? Have you have you unearthed any any one of in particular in recent times? A handful of names have um, been uh, brought to my attention, and and it's it's just now a case of making sure that they're you know going to add to the add to the group and and and. Better than what we have, um, so so that's that's where we are right now. I've had a couple of interesting names recently, so we'll just see. Um, you know, we'll do do our scouting work and, and see see how those pan out. Who have you come across that that might be eligible? A couple of players in Europe that <coughs> excuse me, a couple of players in Europe that um, that are playing at good levels and uh, potentially could be players that, that help us. I wouldn't I wouldn't really want to mention their name at the moment, but. Um, that's you know before I even you know bring that sort of out in the public, I would need to you know you know what you know see if the player's good enough and uh, um, you know speak with the player and you know and and see you know see if it's possible. But certainly they're very interesting names that have been brought to the table. That's all. Whites coach Anthony Hudson. The Geraldine driver Hayden Padden finished his first season on the World Rally Championship circuit with a 10th place finish in the Rally of Wales this week. He finished 14th in the overall standings after competing in just six events as part of the Hyundai team. Padden says he's close to confirming an expanded World Rally Championship program for next year. The 27-year-old has worked hard to get recognised on the world circuit and he told Barry Guy the Wales Rally was a good finish to what was a productive year. It's been a a great opportunity and um, you know I think we've 
making the most of that opportunity and and um, you know that was uh, I guess one of the targets this year as well is that we wanted to set ourselves up for the future in the sport and and, and uh, do a good enough performance to give ourselves uh, that opportunity to continue. So um, at the moment that side of things is looking positive and. Uh, um, you know, it's been a pretty steep learning curve this year, uh, but we've taken a lot from it, and I'm sure, uh, given the chance next year, we'll be a lot stronger uh, from it. And consistently finishing in a, in a good placing, that, that's obviously key as well. Yeah, and it's a big part of the learning uh, for the fact that we, we did all the stages this year. Uh, we didn't miss any stages, so it means when we go back to the events next year, we have a uh, good experience and we've got some uh, good data and information that we can uh, utilise for us. You know, if we went out, uh, balls to the wall to the first rally and, and crashed on the first stage, and you, then you miss out on a whole rally's worth of experience. So that was something we are very mindful throughout the year. Uh, I see you've said that um, you're confident of uh, a drive next year. Where are you at with that? Yeah, we're, we're just going through the final negotiation stages and, and just trying to get everything in place. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty positive we'll, we'll be back there next year. We just need to... Um, as I say, firm up a few details and uh, and then try and get it all sorted. And that must be sort of pleasing. I'm assuming that uh, negotiations or people have come to you. Uh, that must make 2014 feel pretty good. Oh, definitely. Uh, we we had two offers on the table for 2015. So um, to know we had uh, two teams that wanted us uh, must mean that we did something right this year, I guess. So uh, of course that's uh, very humbling. But uh, now we need to focus solely on uh, 2015 next year will be a different year um, ok there will still be some learning next year but we it is about taking the next step up and uh, that's going to be you know probably a lot harder than what it was this year uh, especially in the, the competition environment that we're in but you know we're backing ourselves and, and we feel we're up for, up for the challenge So the offers that you have got if you want to make another step up uh, you'll be in a competitive car obviously yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll definitely be in a, in a competitive car. And um, okay, I think uh, there, there'll be a few new cars out there next year in terms of new specification cars from different manufacturers. So at, at the moment, it's hard to gauge where everyone will be speed-wise. But uh, I'm sure as the season progresses, um, things will keep developing and uh, and things will become more apparent. I also uh, see that you said that uh, may not be a full program, possibly just the uh, tarmac event, uh, you know, the uh, gravel events. Uh, yeah, well, we're working on different situations at the moment. That's all part of the negotiation process at the moment, and obviously we want to try and get as many rallies as we can. Uh, it won't be a full season, unfortunately, because uh, we know for sure we won't be doing the first rally in Monte Carlo, but um, beyond that, we'd like to be trying to do most of the events. So this year we did six, but to keep moving forward in the sport and develop as a driver, we need to be doing a lot more than that. So that's what we're just trying to finalise at the moment. Uh, so I suppose a Christmas present would be to have this all wrapped up by the end of the year? Oh, it should be all wrapped up in the next week or two, so uh, it'll be an early Christmas present. But yeah, for sure, we just need to get it all finalised. It'll be nice to get it all done with, and then we can uh, focus on the, on the driving. Do you uh, stay away from the competitive stuff here, do you? Um, you know, you're more or less... Uh, what, what happens now for the next few months for you? Uh, well, the season um, kicks off again in about five or six weeks' time, so it's not a huge jump season. Um, so we'll spend about a month here in New Zealand during the summer and uh, do a few sponsor events and, and work with our partners and a few rally ride events here and there. Um, but other than that, then it's uh, you know make the most of downtime to training and, and getting best prepared for the season, and then we'll head back over the start of early next year and, and get back into testing before the, before the start of the season.
Hayden Paddon's believed to be talking to both M Sport and Hyundai about next season. The New Zealand heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker is set to face the toughest challenge of his fledgling career after being confirmed to fight Bruno Beato Costa Jr. at next month's Fight for Life in Hamilton. The Brazilian heavyweight is ranked 15th by the World Boxing Organisation and has only lost once in 16 fights with 13 of his 15 wins ending in a knockout. Parker's management had originally looked to line up a fight with the American journeyman Vinnie Madalone and his trainer Kevin Barry says this fight is a significant step up for the 22-year-old Parker. This is a, actually a much harder fight than I would have liked for Joseph to close the year out on. You know, um, Beto Costa Jr. Is, is a very powerful fighter. He's very heavy-handed. He comes to us with a record of 15-1 and one with 13 knockouts. 11 of his 13 KOs have been in the first two rounds. Um, so, you know, he's a very powerful fighter, six foot four, he's somewhere in height to Joe. Uh, and look, you know, after, you know, after uh, Sherman Williams at, at 5'11 and Minto at 5'10 and a half, um, you know, this is a totally different sort of style with Joseph once again fighting somebody that he's looking straight into the eyes of. How has that sort of changed your preparation, I guess, at, at late notice with only about a month to go? Well, it's actually, it's far less than a month. Like, you know, like, I like, um, I like being totally prepared and having time to study Joe's opponents. And, and I now find myself, you know, less than three weeks before the event, um, you know, fighting a very dangerous guy. Um, but, you know, we've had, we've had a very active year. This is Joe's fifth fight in seven and a half months and four of those fights have been 10 round title fights so you know we've spent a long time in the gym throughout the second part of this year um, you know preparing for these fights Are you happy with how many fights he's had this year or do you you think there's a risk that he he could get burnt out if he keeps sort of going at this rate and um, with Duco pushing him as hard as they are? No I think um, like when we had the setback from the King Arthur fight last year, which were in October, Joseph suffered a really bad cut on the eye and didn't fight until uh, April of this year. Um, we lost a bit of momentum and we lost a little bit of ground. And collectively, as a team, we sat down and we said, "Okay, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to get things going again. We're going to put a schedule in place that's going to that's going to have Joseph." Uh, only having a short break between fights, but keeping him busy. We aim to move him into the rankings and putting him into uh, title fights. And I think we saw with the fight in Germany against Nascimento in April that um, you know Joe won the PABA heavyweight title. This will be his third defense of the PABA um, WBA title. Um, and, and it's because of those number of defences and and defending them regularly that we find ourselves now ranked number 10 in the world. Um, This is also Joseph's second defence of the WBO Oriental heavyweight title. And he's sitting number 14 with the WBO at the moment. And it's only because of that activity that we find ourselves moving into the rankings, which which has made a very successful year after a relatively slow start.
And looking at this uh, opponent's knockout rate, we've seen in fights before Joseph has had a couple of lapses and been hit a couple of times in Germany and against uh, Afa Tatupu. Do you think against such a strong hitter, he's going to be forced to pay for these lapses if, if they happen in this fight? Well, I think, you know, it's going to be very, very important uh, against uh, a very heavy-handed fighter like Beto Costa Jr. that Joseph stays focused and disciplined. Um, I think it's very important that he uses his superior hand speed and his better overall boxing skills to cancel out the power and size advantage of Costa Jr. You know, it's a fight that we definitely don't want to be careless in. It's a fight where one punch can change a whole fight. Um, so, you know, this fight definitely comes with uh, with a lot of risk. But it also comes with great reward. You know, as, as I mentioned before, Joseph's now number 10 with the WBA. A good solid win here will, will uh, again, move him further up the WBA ranking. And do you think a win also will have some higher-ranked guys starting to look at him as an opponent for next year? Well, you know, we have, um, we have some really good plans for Joseph for next year. Um, we need to close this year out first before we actually concentrate on next year. You know, we've got a very, a very strong, uh, very powerful opponent in front of us, but hopefully everything goes well and, and Joseph closes the year out well. Um, next year, we, we plan on, we plan on fighting Joseph four or five times, keeping him busy again and, and hopefully move him into the top five by the end of the year. They're our immediate plans. We, uh, myself, uh, Dean Lonigan and Dave Higgins, have already been talking about an opponent for for March, and another one for shortly after that. We've got uh, we've got people that we're looking at now, guys that we want to get under contract, so that we have uh, you know we we have Joseph schedule in place and just move from one fight to the next next year. And do you think the long-term sort of end game here is looking towards possibly a world title fight by, what, 2016? Um, 2016 would be would be a great time to have Joseph's position somewhere into the top five, into a mandatory slot, and inevitably, hopefully, uh, in a position to fight for a world title if we keep improving and developing at the rate that we are. And let's remember... This young man has only been a professional for a little over two years. He is the youngest fighter in the top ten in the world at the moment in the heavyweight division. So, you know, we definitely have age on our on our side. That's Joseph Parker's trainer Kevin Barry talking to Alex Coogan Reeves. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for this week. Remember, you can contact us by email at sport at radionz.co.nz or you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is 
absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah. And under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. <laughs> 